speaking podcast. This is Chris Shelton, the critical thinker at large. And as you can see, if you are joining us on YouTube this week, I am joined by my beautiful wife, Melissa Huff. Hello. Hey, baby. Thanks for doing this with me. You're very welcome. Melissa uh, usually joins me every week for critical conversations, and you can join us and talk to us live in a call-in show format, but um, not so often for the podcast are we doing this together. And I invited Melissa on board this week because it was surprisingly long ago. It was almost two years ago. It was May of 2019 that we got together and did a podcast about mental health. And this was right on the heels of me finishing uh, a two-day training on suicide intervention and prevention. And it was, an, it was a fascinating workshop, and I had a lot to talk about, and Melissa had a lot to contribute of a uh, really important nature. Um, and prior to that, uh, we had, I guess, about, you know, a few months before that, we had done our first podcast mm -hmm. where we discussed depression and some of our own personal struggles. Um, and you were very open about some of the issues you faced. Yeah. And so we thought, um, well, you know, here I am now smack in the middle of a university program study on basically the subject of mental health and psychology. Uh, you know, my, my program is incredibly immersed right now in therapeutic modes or modalities of, you know, how do you treat people? How do you help people out of coercive, you know, situations out of, out of very, very controlling, abusive, physically abusive, sexually abusive situations, the worst of the worst, in other words, of what we can run into when your own family is abusing you. I mean, these are these are things I'm now learning about, and it's and it's rough stuff. And I have found um, this program to really, you know, knock me around mentally, um, as well as physically <laughs> with the demands of it. And, um, and they say on the program repeatedly, and for very good reason, that we have to take timeouts, we have to self-care is the best care, and that we have to be mindful of that. And and at first I am, you know, I was very cavalierly disregarding such notices and thought they were for wimps and thought that that sort of thing is kind of silly. But after repeated exposure, you know, when, I, when, when you teach yourself a thing or when you're learning things yourself, then you can self-pace a lot easier than when you're on a program where they're mm -hmm. throwing the information at you for hours at a time. And, and getting concentrated volumes of really difficult to process information, you know, when it comes to the abusive nature of groups, gangs, trafficking, etc., you guys get the idea. So anyway, obviously that takes its own toll at the same time. And as I've talked about recently, it has spurred in me some very fundamental changes of a good positive nature. You know, the difficulties that some of this stuff, it's not all just about how bad everything is. When we talk about treatment, when we look at how people address this stuff, we're looking at the more positive side because people do come through. They, they go through a process of, of catharsis, of, of healing, of re restoration of trust. Uh, that's a huge thing. 
of realizing that compassion and 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 which we'll I think we'll talk about more here um is a reality that they can experience both giving and receiving you know and these are really really important things to experience after years of having those you know kinds of experiences stripped from you and not being allowed to have true connection with other human beings except through the veil or the the filter of a cult or through the the permission of the narcissist that you live with or something i mean it can get quite oh yeah you know it can get quite bad so we thought i thought i would you know since that time that we last did a podcast about this but both melissa and i have you know a lot of water has gone under the bridge in two years right yep. i've i've done a lot of learning as you guys have followed you have two. Mm-hmm. You know, you're you're looking at a couple people who are very who have a lot of common interests, and who have a lot of shared interest in the concept and topic of mental health and wellness, um, because we've both had our our struggles with that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, did you have anything about that with your own experience that you wanted to talk about? Because you spend an awful lot of time, just like I do, you know, with, you know, books and yeah. videos and, and working on, on that. And education is, as far as I'm concerned, one of the most important components of, of how we lead better, more mindful, more, <laughs> more happy, you know, kind of lives, you know. But what do you think? Yeah, well, I mean, so you want me to talk about what's been going on? Well, just I think I was more curious about, you know, do you think your process of self-learning or of working on this is a, um, and there's no right or wrong answers on this. I'm not, this isn't a loaded question. I'm I'm actually wondering because we, we've never really talked a whole lot about the, that the process of what we do in dealing with some of this stuff. Mm -hmm. We talk about therapy, we talk about specific things sometimes but like what um how important is it to you your learning and your and your and is that part of the process for you of how you deal with some of your oh yeah i mean i I like to learn about what's going on with me to see other people are experiencing it so i'm not alone i like to learn about it so i can learn strategies for myself and learn about what's going on with me and maybe finally understand some things you know yeah, exactly. Have you found that understanding or reading up on um, these issues, you know, because you've read gender specific and broad, mm-hmm. you've, you know, you've covered psychology and psychiatry in terms of, you know, the differences and similarities mm-hmm. between them. Um, what other things have you, what other rabbit holes have you gone down in your own looking into this over the years? Hmm. Oh, God, I don't know, lots of them, but I'm trying to think of specific ones. They're just like the ones you mentioned, mostly. Um, Gender studies and women's health and mental health and depression. Depression, yeah, and ADHD stuff and I don't know what else. <laughs> mm, right. But, uh, yeah, I mean, just, lo- you know, all kinds of stuff. Looking in, like I said, there's there's even comedy videos about mental illness to make you feel better, you know, like. Yeah. Well, it, it's certainly true that laughter is a kind of medicine. I don't mm-hmm. know if it's the best medicine, but it's pretty good. You yeah. Know? 
It's pretty good. If you can get to laughing, you can almost start seeing your way through any... Well, it is our coping mechanism for us, isn't it? Yeah. You know, and it is a way to see ourselves through some very dark times. I remember... Um, uh, I I don't know... Did we... I think we talked about this in one of the critical conversations, maybe... But it's maybe worth talking about right now in terms of, you know, when we talk about ways we, we have directly experienced how to ease or help. You know, I want to be clear. I should have I should have put this at the get go. This podcast isn't meant to be therapy and we are not therapists. <laughs> <laughs> we are talking about the topic because we're keenly interested in it and it's something I'm learning mm -hmm. a lot about. But I am not pretending to be, and I am not playing a therapist here in this podcast. Um, but I do believe sharing our experiences can be helpful. And it's on that basis that, I'm, that we're doing this. Yeah. So that being said, um, I uh, the storytelling on the RPF, mm -hmm. the movies and stuff. Did we talk about that? Have I have I mentioned that? Yeah, you mentioned yeah, it. Yeah, I talked about that, right? Yeah. I mean, this was a thing we know that we would yeah. do to just to relieve the incredible anxiety we were all under all the time. Mm -hmm. Is we would tell each other stories and movies and and jokes and stuff because any laughter in that situation was a huge way of just being able to. Uh, it could buy you hours of of a little bit of moving the stress or the worry or the or the whatever you want to call it away for a little while. Excuse me, it was never a, any sort of a permanent fix or something, but we weren't pretending it was. It was just a way to get through the day. And uh, so anyway, that's just speaking to that point mm -hmm. on, on just even stuff like that. But I think actually one of the reasons why laughter is so effective or useful or, or impactful for us, not only do you get the chemical release, right, um, but it almost always represents some kind of a connection. And I'm kind of big on looking at things right now through this lens mm -hmm. of, of connection and relationships and stuff. I don't want to. I don't want to try to make out that the whole world is just that, or it can be reduced to some simple mechanism. But I don't know that we stress the importance of, um, uh, or the impact that relationships that that the that the that the nature of our relationships, the health of our relationships, the quality of them. I, I think that has everything to do with whether we feel we are properly adjusted in the world, whether we feel we're getting along well in the world. You know, it used to be almost the driving force in my life for quite some time when I first got involved in working for Scientology and for many, many years, even into the Sea Org. Um, in fact, I dare say it was getting away from this that might have even enabled me to get out of the Sea Org in some fashion that I would work very, very, very hard just to please a person who was an authority figure to me. And if they were happy with me, if everything was okay, and, and I was getting the two thumbs up for my daily work or for my weekly work and everybody, and, and that relationship was, they were happy with me, then the world was good. And 
that's all that mattered. You know, and that's a weird kind of thing to say or look at now, but that was how I lived my life. Yeah. You know, and I think I actually developed that kind of attitude in high school mm. um, because I was not a um, particularly strong or forceful. I think, might have, I think I might have had a bit of a forceful personality, and I think that might have gotten me in trouble sometimes, and I certainly had a forceful mouth. um but i was also fairly physically weak nerdy geeky not a fighter not the guy who was going to go get into scuffles with people i would studiously avoid such things (laughs) um but sometimes people wanted to make trouble with me and so i became i got into a practice in school of making friends with very big strong guys there you go yeah and who happened to have (laughs) common interests with me. It wasn't totally, you know, uh, on false pretenses. I would legitimately make friends with these people. They were, you know, the people I knew in school, but they were also my protectors. (laughs) I was recruiting as friends, you know, my protectors, and I avoided, they didn't have to go fight for me. I just avoided getting into those situations because I was hanging Mm -hmm. around with those people, right? And I think that's where I kind of learned um, the value, the importance of, you know, of having uh, those kind of relations and relationships and what those things, how, you know, there, there's a, there's a, what's the word I'm looking for? A kind of a physics to this. I don't know. There's kind of a, you see that, you know, by doing one thing you can do, an, you know, like the social awareness, I guess, uh, you know, comes up in high school drastically. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I don't know that we really develop a whole lot more from there (laughs) (laughs) in terms of how we treat each other and stuff. No, we don't. Most people don't mature too much. Really? I mean, they really just don't, do they? You know, and we still and Mm -hmm. and in some ways, some people never really left high school mm-hmm. <laughs> but i i digress <laughs> anyway <laughs> i was uh i was talking about that because i was trying to talk about you know the way that i the sort of the nature of of how i learned about relationships that were helpful and useful to me i could be helpful and useful to somebody else in the same way um or, or conversely there could be some kind of a give and take you know um and this is the basis of relationships. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's how that's supposed to work. And they can really materially benefit you in your life. I mean, getting protected from getting, you know, the crap beaten out of me many mm-hmm. times in high school was a was a good thing. I avoided that and I never got beat up. <laughs> um, I'm sure I might have a different life approach if I had, you know, I'm sure things might be different. Mm-hmm. So. So in other words, this has, um, and that had everything to do just to sort of continue my thinking and argument here that these are important to how we're doing up here, you know, that that caused me to have a less stressful, less anxious, less um, physically concerning mm-hmm. <laughs> a high school education experience, right? Uh, and that increased or improved or helped my mental health during that time. So that's kind of the, my, you know, another argument for proof for what I'm kind of talking about, which is if you, you know, how many of us are um, plagued by difficult relationships? You know, I mean, it's the classic trope of the mother-in-law 
mm-hmm. or the in-laws, mm-hmm. right? Um, I think we dodged that bullet. I don't happen to think we have. Yeah, we've, we've got a good situation. <laughs> we, we actually do. <laughs> we are uh, extremely lucky that way. But, you know, how many people are plagued by the in-laws they can't stand or the relatives mm-hmm. they can't stand? Or, you know, again, it's these relationships. And and these have to do with, you know, when you think about talking to them, seeing them, dealing with them, or they impose themselves mm-hmm. in your life somehow, your stress levels go up. You can't deal with them well. It's hard. It's difficult. They don't listen to you. They put you down. They mm-hmm. um, invalidate your goals. You know, they tell you things, you know, they're critical of you in ways you don't appreciate. Yeah. Um, you know, these kinds of little carping things through life uh, raise our stress levels. And we can end up, you know, and this is all common sense. I think we all know this stuff, you know, that you end up stressing because the parents are coming for the weekend mm-hmm. or they're coming into town or we're going to go. babysitting the kids or something. Yeah, or the, exactly. There's going to be a reunion. There's going to be some connection of some kind. And, uh, and then you find yourself kicking the cat or, you know, uh, getting angry for no reason over here or over there. I mean, you know, we can't really be honestly real that this is not having an effect on our mental health. Now, maybe mm-hmm. these are considered transitory, temporary issues, yet it's still our mental health. And I think we should look at it that way. Or I think that's a valid lens that we can use to to look at this, you know. And uh, man, there's just nothing like stress. That's for sure. You know? <laughs> now, um, of course, another challenge here with this that we wanted to talk about today are challenges, you know, that we have. Um, I've had many, and uh, Melissa has had more, mm-hmm. I would say, um, in getting help. And uh, And I thought of some things that I wanted to say today that I thought might be help all of us or that ways that we might all be more useful or helpful to one another and our mutual mental health, um, which is kind of where I, where my thinking goes with this stuff. But before I get to the, you know, the, the silver lining, let's kind of, we're going to have to fly through the black cloud a little bit right. here because we've got some things to talk about that are very real, very difficult and can be real make break points for some people, depending on where they're at at the moment, when it comes to getting some help. Um, I would, I'm going to like to turn the floor over to you on this one um, and share your experiences or your knowledge on this. On the difficulties of getting help? Yeah, some of the barriers we run into. I mean, the biggest one I think is money for a lot of people. I mean... Chris nods in affirmation. I mean, if you don't have health insurance or at least good insurance psychiatrists can be upwards of two three hundred dollars an hour so who can afford that you know like especially in the beginning when you're first diagnosed with something or you're first getting on a new medication or changing a dose on your medication they're going to want to see you more often they might want to see you every two weeks or every month and that starts adding up so that's a huge barrier um, and then even if you do have health insurance, it could still be outrageous, but then you get the health insurance is good enough to make it a reasonable price, 
and you find out that your psychiatrist sucks and it's it's hard you know because then you have to find another one you have to go through all that and if you're in an hmo like kaiser or something you might be stuck with somebody you know that's that's why i don't like hmos as much but like um and here are we talking about like being in or out of network that kind of thing sort of like with an h with most hmos they have um the way it works with kaiser is they're a very specialized hmo everything's all in one building and they have you know, all their psychiatrists, all their pediatricians, all their guys are all in one building for the most part. And you just go to one of them. But that means there's a limited number of them, too. So if you don't like the psychiatrist at that Kaiser building, you're either going to have to go to a probably a different Kaiser building or you're stuck. <laughs> right. You can't really do anything. And then other HMOs, like the one we have, you sort of have more of a choice, but it's still really whatever whatever's available in there yeah yeah it's so in other words it's not like and this is all u.s specific that we're talking about yeah. here and we are well aware of the fact how u.s specific this is and the difficulties of being in the united states and trying to get help at any level in the healthcare mm -hmm. system here and um so the for those in our international audience who are listening to us and you know uh, wondering what we're talking mm -hmm. about or wondering why we put up with it or whatever. Well, it's because we're, we're in the U.S. and we have to, Yep. you know, and um, and we have to keep calling attention to these problems because because um, they're huge. I was, um, you know, I've talked about this before. I'm going to keep talking about it because I think it's uh, it needs to be on, uh, you know, I really, really, really think that, you know, our, our tolerance of this nonsense really needs to stop. I mean, we are in the United States so tolerant of such a bad system. And these barriers are huge. Well, we've convinced about half the population, the voting population, that people that want health care are somehow moochers and awful and we're the enemy, not the guys that are keeping the health care from us. Exactly. And that's true. What she's saying is no exaggeration. If you go on social media and you try to have discussions with certain people, um, and I'm not even talking, I'm not bringing politics into it. I'm not bringing religion into it. These are factors that sometimes are at play, but not always, mm -hmm. if we're being honest. Not all Republicans want us all dead and not all evangelicals do either, <laughs> right? So it's like we can have nuance here. All I'm going to say is there are people you will run into of all flavors and of all socioeconomic status who will defend this system, who will talk about how if you don't like it, then leave and, you know, and, and how America is the best of all possible worlds while they and I and she are you know, suffering for mm -hmm. lack of assistance or care or medical, you know, uh, assistance. So, you know, so this is a this is this is a very broad problem, and 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 I think it's even more than half of us who have bought into this really crazy idea that this is the best we can possibly get, and so don't rock the boat, you know, or don't make yeah. noise about it. And they. They always have excuses about why it won't work here, even though it works everywhere else. Yeah. Right. It's amazing to me. It's like, no, it will work here. It, we have the money. We have the ability to do it. 
Let's just do it. Exactly. And this, uh, I'm so tired of hearing, oh, the free market is how the health insurance should go. No, we tried that. It failed. We no. tried that before Obamacare and it failed. <laughs> yeah, and I'd say it's still failing, right? Now, yeah. here's, here's the real life example in my life of this or a real life example. I could actually give you many because this is, this is something I am fed up with. I'm literally at the place now where I, that's just the only way I can describe you know, where my head's at when it comes to trying to get some some help when it comes to mental health. You know, I know a lot about this subject now, and I'm going to know more as the months progress here. I mean, in terms of what kind of treatment people can get, how treatment should be done, what the good, you know, the attitude of a good psychologist or a psychiatrist, what is good mental health therapy, what's non-coercive therapy, what is non-abusive therapy, what are the codes, how, it's, how should it be run. I'm really learning all of that now. Yet, if I can't get in the front door, right. then all of that knowledge is just knowledge. It's not anything that I get to go take advantage of or get assistance from, right? And this isn't even about you know, me trying to make my case or her case in order for you to feel sorry for us. Right. That's not the point of this podcast in any way. It is, it's not about us. We are only giving you ideas and examples yeah, and opinions our, here. We're our own personal examples. But so you finally figure out what's wrong with you, let's say, and they tell you you need a specialized doctor or therapist or psychiatrist or group. And then those people that specialize in your disease or mental illness or whatever charge outrageous amounts. Like, I don't think that's right. Like, they're like, I looked into an ADHD coach. She was ridiculous. <laughs> and that's not covered by, so, you know, it's not covered by insurance. So I, I, I don't know, you know, I don't want to tell people how much they can make and charge and that kind of thing. Cause that starts getting, you know, a little coming either but at the same time there should be some kind of regulations about what doctors can charge for things well or or you know there and at the same time i think um we are you know suffering from a a real dearth a real shortage of of trained professionals who actually do know what they're doing in this field mm -hmm. right there's not lots and lots and lots of people it's really weird how you have this you know, this, this affluence, this, this, this great number of psych degrees and social degrees out there, because I guess people just sort of, you know, aimlessly wander through college or something. Mm -hmm. I'm not really sure how mm -hmm. that happens. And then they proceed to do nothing with the degree, right? Right. Um, because there's a lot of work that needs to be done out there. Yes. And there are way too few resources to do it. Um, and that's just at a general level. Once you start, like she made the point, once you start specializing where you're looking for help from, you know, a cult situation or a domestic violence situation, now you're talking about specialization because treatment for somebody coming from one of those situations is different, or at least it should be, and there are different models mm -hmm. for it, than your standard, regular, you know, non abused, non-coerced person who's going in because they are suffering from maybe some depression or some anxiety yeah. or a more general broad thing that is not nothing. Don't make, don't, don't mistake right. what it's I'm saying not here. It's the same thing. It's just, yeah, the, the way you go about treating that is a more broad or general thing, you know, a, 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 a 
a general practitioner of psychology or psychiatry can deal with a wide array of everyday normal things that all of us run into. But once you start specializing because you have a more advanced situation to deal with, child abuse, sexual abuse, um, coercive control, you know, you were trafficked. I mean, Jesus, you know, things like this coming out of a cult. Now you have to have some specialized training. The, the general stuff ain't good enough. And I think we all know that. You want to know more about these things and the special problems and circumstances and the ways that you're going to go about approaching and tackling those things. And that's where that specialization comes in. And unfortunately, in the United States especially, specialization is going to cost. And it's, un and it's weird because the other, um, just to continue the rant a little bit here, is our you know, health insurance is always tied to our job. Yep. As a YouTuber, guess how much insurance I have, right? Absolutely none. I've only had insurance through my wife's job because she works for an insurance company. Mm -hmm. I try to go get some mental health therapy, just some general help, not even a suit, you know, any specialized stuff. Um, try to get some medical help. Just get a just get a physical right now in the age of COVID. Forget it. Mm -hmm. Can't get either of those. Literally cannot get those. And I am speechless. I mean, I thought of all things, a, a good searching physical would be no problem. Ah, can't can't even get that right now. You know, uh, much less you know getting called fifteen minutes as I've said before, getting called fifteen minutes before my appointment. To be told, oh, yeah, sorry, actually, you're out of network. You, This doctor can't see you because your insurance won't cover it, even though it was right there and we made the appointment and everything looked fine. Mm -hmm. You know, you get a call like that 15 minutes before your appointment when you're all ready, you've been thinking, you've been gearing up for it, you're all ready to start talking to somebody new and fresh and here we go, and you start thinking about how this is going to go, and what it's going to be like, and what what are they going to do, and what what do they are going to what are they going to see and think about you, and all this stuff is going through your head for hours, and then you get this phone call. Yeah, okay, guess what? We're just going to pull the carpet out from under you, and you get nothing, right? Because blah blah blah, and you know that itself can have a deadening effect, a, a total dampening, a, 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 a uh, you, well, you can take it very personally, <laughs> you know? and, and you shouldn't, I can tell you from experience, you know, you shouldn't take experiences like that personally, because it's not personal. And maybe that's the problem, is that they're not personal enough. Mm -hmm. But, you know, um, it can hit you hard. And I have a thing personally about getting help. I am not easy to help uh, necessarily. I am not someone who extends trust easily. And, um, and I have lots of very good reasons to think the way that I think about that subject. So, uh, so once I do start opening up or do decide, okay, let's go in this direction. Let's see what we can see. Let's see what we can do. To me, it's a big deal. You know, and it I think it should be a big deal. I think I think going to see a doctor, getting some help for anything, physical, mental, I think those are important things in our mm -hmm. lives, you know, and uh, and and they're significant. And uh, so anyway, it can be rather devastating. Yeah, well, I mean, I think I heard that our life expect expectancy in the U.S. is going down instead of up. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Interesting. 
Well, I can't. I can't see at how. At least for for like my generation and and maybe yours, because millennials and Gen Z are, are like we have no access to anything. Mm. Yeah, no, that's a, <laughs> you know? I can see that. I can, I, and I can see that a lot more clearly now than I would have said even a year or two or three mm-hmm. ago. You know, it's not just, you know, I mean, it takes some time to, to start. <laughs> anyway, yeah, yeah. So it's kind of bad. So access can be difficult is mm-hmm. kind of basically the point. And we got to acknowledge that if we're ever going to be able to do anything about it. So, you know, the point of us is not just to sit here and rant and rave, but we're really trying to raise awareness of a of a real live issue here that all that affects all of us. Of course, because the thing is is with poverty and not getting access to good you know, healthcare and especially mental healthcare, then crime happens and that affects all of us. Exactly. <laughs> And I'm not saying that everybody that's mentally ill is going to go criminal crime. I'm just saying when you're poverty stricken and then you have a mental illness on top of it, it's a lot easier to go in that direction. Well, it's true. It is. And um, I don't think that's particularly a controversial statement. And and we have taken great pains before in our earlier podcasts about this. And we'll do so now to say, you know, that the stigmas connected with mental health and mental illness are legion. They are ridiculous. It is silly and stupid how many people... You know, their eyes widen, they're, uh, you know, it's almost like a threat assessment, you know, oh, whoa, a mentally ill person, what? You know, it's not like that at all. You know, mental illness is something that I believe is a spectrum problem that is on multiple axes. It's not just one single one-dimensional spectrum of sanity to insanity, but, you know, kindly tell me what is sane and what is insane, you know? They're starting, I think, you know, in some arenas, they're kind of trying to change the names of it, too, and not be like mental illness or uh, anything like that, or you're mentally ill. They want to change it to things like, you know, you're neuro, neurologically different or you're neurodivergent or you're, you know, mm. because, it, you know, that it's not exactly an illness. You know, there's something else that's, you know, it's like. Oh no, totally. We've been having this wrapped up. This whole this whole subject has been wrapped up in medical terminology yeah. since since it started, really. I mean, this goes all the way back to bedlam days and and pre uh even you go pre enlightenment mm-hmm. it was just lock people up, throw them off a cliff, drown them, do whatever you yeah. want to to them. Nobody nobody cares. But And I after... think that's why they want to change the name of names in a lot of ways is because when you say mentally ill, you know, it's like you make it sound like the person's lesser and just, you know, whatever. Oh, you're sick. That's well, your problem. There is certainly that to it. The other, I think, even more um, damaging, uh, difficult, problematic. I'm not sure exactly what word to use here to describe this, but I think another huge problem connected with calling um these difficulties, these these psychological issues or problems or disorders that people have or experience, I think the problem, I think another problem with calling it an illness is the expectation that it's something you can cure, that right. you can apply a pill, you can apply a salve, you can apply medication of some kind, and you will make it go away and it will never return. That's not really, as we're coming to learn and know, um, 
at all, really, how these things should be thought nope. about. If you do want to think about it that way, you can, but you're going to be in many ways pushing around peg into a square hole because treatment, uh, care, um, education, you know, these components of dealing with it all take time. There are, there are such things as sing <laughs> single solution psychology sessions or, you know, problem solving psychological modalities where we're, we don't care why it's happening. We're just going to tackle the problem in the real world in a very practical way and make that problem go away. Well, you can do that for things like I forget when I'm supposed to do things or I'm late to work all the time or I have a problem with my temper and my children. There are things you can very much do that have nothing to do with delving into your childhood to figure out why you're always late or why you have a temper tantrum with your kids. You can solve those problems, in other words, not always, of course, but there are practical solutions, things you can do, apps you can load, ways you can rearrange your life, in other words, to you know solve that problem. But let's not pretend that by doing that, we've gone in and you know, excoriated something from your brain, you know, or have cured you of something, you know, we yeah. have, we have coped with a solution. Yeah. Well, and the thing with true mental illness or whatever you want to call it is that, you know, more than likely you are going to relapse at some point. You can get yourself to a really good point and you can be, on the right medications and having the right therapy and have the right people around you and you're doing the right healthy things and your medication stops working and you relapse. <laughs> you know, it happens all the time. So there's no curing it and there's no predicting when it's going to come up and, and tell you, Hey, guess what? Your meds don't work anymore. Surprise. Exactly. <laughs> you don't know when that's happening. That's right. Can't exactly. Can't plan for that. <laughs> and that's because what psychotropic meds are doing is they are adjusting or changing chemical processes in your brain involving mm -hmm. neurotransmitters and the transmission of signals from one neuron to another. Basically, in simplicity, that's what they're doing. Sometimes that is helpful for a period of time. Sometimes that's helpful for a long period of time. Sometimes it permanently changes the condition. But you notice I had to say sometimes in front of every one of those statements, also sometimes it doesn't do a damn thing. And you have to try a different drug, which will do a, the same kind of thing, but it will do it with a different set of neurotransmitters or different mm -hmm. processes, mm -hmm. right? It's adjusting different chemistry in your brain. But all of these things, that's basically what they're doing. Slow you down, slow you make you up. <laughs> exactly. Whatever it is you need. <laughs> That's right. But the fact of the matter is that when we talk about psychology and psychiatry, we're talking about subjects that are still in their infancy, as we said many times, but we have to allow for that because, for example, if I'm if I'm accurate on this, and I believe I am, you know, you got 50 some odd neurotransmitters up going on up here, and they haven't even named them all yet. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you know about dopamine, you know about... Um, Oh, God, uh, norepinephrine oxytocin. and oxytocin. And, you know, there's there's a lot yeah. that we've got some figure out done with. But there's a lot we don't. 
We know they exist, but we don't know a whole lot about what's going on, right? Then there's, you know, then there's neurons and then there's glia, which is the glue that holds it all together, which itself has functions we don't Mm -hmm. understand or we're just trying to understand them. So so there's so much we're still learning with this um, that it could be that the entire approach to calling it mental illness, this is, I'm, I'm trying to get on this topic here of calling it mental illness here. You know, it, it could be very, very wrong wording, simply stemming from this idea that in the 18, you know, in 1879 or 1850 or whatever, when they were first formulating this stuff and they're cataloging this array of behavior that people call irrational or insane in Victorian England, which is one of the most repressed societies, right. by the way, ever, right? And these guys were trying to catalog mental illnesses. And they were watching a lot of strange behavior from a lot of, you know, from people acting very strangely. And they decided, well, these people are sick because we don't, we don't know how else to no, think about it. we don't understand it. them, so they're sick. <laughs> and, and we did not yet know hardly anything at that moment in time when that, those assessments were being made about the nature of the brain. And even what I believe even more importantly, the uh, vast importance and nature of uh, communication, interpersonal relationships, communication, and um, most important of all, compassion and empathy. It was easier, faster, and more ex- you know more expeditious and more financially um, well uh, simple to uh, just lock people up, you know, throw them in straitjackets, um, torture them even, and call it experimentation you know, and things like that. It was it was a lot easier to just do that. It's always been easier to hurt people than it is to help them. Um, it, it's just sad, but true. Mm-hmm. You know, you can always pick up a rock and hit somebody over the head and then that's it. You don't have a problem with them anymore. It might take an hour or two of sitting down with them and acknowledging some of your issues and your problems mm-hmm. and the things you did wrong in the relationship in order to smooth it all out and really help the person and who wants to do that? Exactly. Right? But in fact, going there now, um, you know, we can talk about and have and, and will continue to talk about systemic issues with the, with the fields. Um, I'm much more interested these days, you know, it, 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 once my ranting is kind of over a little bit, because um, it, it's hard. It, it makes it hard for all of us is really the point is, uh, of that. And I want to and I want to get your guys's help out there to be aware of this so that if legislation is proposed, mm-hmm. if funding is proposed, if programming is proposed in your area, in your state, because this is in the United States, you know, it's state by state. That's how most of this stuff is administered. It's not the federal government that's going to come to the rescue on a lot of this. It's it's state by state. That's how difficult of a challenge this is. And um, but if we are keeping it in the back of our minds, if not the front of our minds, if we are cognizant of the problems in this field that nobody's got it wrapped, yep. there's no magic solution or or bullet, you know, silver bullet here, and no one has got it all figured out, you know, and 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 if we are cognizant of that, then maybe we can support efforts and initiatives to improve the whole situation, national, state level, you know. There's um, some amazing research, for example, being done right now in the UK, I happen to know about, 
um, on domestic violence, on treatment modalities for men as well as women. I mean, don't even get me started on, you know, men and domestic violence. There's, that's a whole nother podcast that we'll probably do someday. But, you know, there's a, there's, it's a huge topic. How do you deal with children? How do you deal with men? How do you deal with women? How do you deal with groups? How do you, you know, there's all kinds of questions Lots and lots of questions and some answers. So we, you know, so we need to move this ball down the road. But that all means said, as far as institutional or systemic problems and financial problems, I thought of some things that um, that I am positive are are more that need that, that that need to be stressed that need to have our attention. And that has to do, again, with um, that, that word I'm going to just harp on for a while, relationships. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and what do I mean by relationships? Well, if we go with Bateson, and I was horribly mispronouncing his name through our entire podcast last week. Oh, I no. kept calling him Batson. Okay, Gregory Bateson. Now, now, now uh, yes, I'm a little enamored with him. There's another man, R.D. Lang, I'm also looking into and studying. And there, it's not, this isn't about a guy. This is about a concept or a, a theory of, of approach to relationships and to mental health. It has been posited, it's been put out by um, Bateson and others who were studying this quite intently that... Um, and this isn't validated research. This isn't like, you know, we know this is the answer. It's merely a suggestion at this point, but it is that perhaps the relationship of an individual to the world around him and not just, when I say relationships, I'm positive most of you thought about wives, husbands, family, perhaps coworkers and friends. But did you think about your pets? Did you think about your car, your house, your stuff? the world around you, you know, they're all relationships. I got, I mean, I have a relationship with this deck of cards. <laughs> I pull it out every week and yep. we read from it. You know, these are my critical thinking cards, right? These are a very important thing in my life. These actually serve a really useful function for me every single week. Obviously, so does my car, right? Mm-hmm. Um and there are people out there who are afraid of cars, afraid of things. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not just people, right? So relationships, if you, uh, if you think about it, you know, we are involved in intense, intimate relationships with lots and lots of things mm-hmm. and people and individuals and living creatures around us. And it's really not a matter of trying to start a fad or try to start some gimmick here by stressing this word, it's a whole field of thought. And it's involved with um, genetics, with cybernetics, which is a fascinating topic in and of itself, with systems theory. This is, this is, this is high-level stuff, actually. It's not just simple Simon, you know, I'm trying to throw out mantras here. And I got a lot to study on it myself before I'm going to be able to claim that I totally understand all this stuff. But what I have been, what it has, what it has done for me is got my wheels turning and seeing how all of us, you listening to this podcast or watching us right now, um, from you to us to everybody in your life, 
you know, if we look at, if we just go, okay, well, let's just look at the humans then. Let's just, let's just limit it to that for, for a second. What are the state of your relationships? How would you judge them? How would you think about them? You know, uh, how have they been? How do you expect them to be in the future? How is your life and yourself and your own personal identity defined by everybody around you? Your identity is not just something you walk around with and tell yourself about. It's what other people assign you Mm -hmm. and how they look at you and how you see them looking at you. That's your reputation. Mm -hmm. You know, these kind of things, right? So my point where I'm going with this is that if we could be more mindful of this as a point of our mental health and stability and security, You know, when you have good relationships, when everything is going smooth, when things are on the up and up, are we not happier? Is our life not smoother? Do we not view the world through a through a less anxious lens when we have a good partner that we can talk to? When we have kids, we're in, you know, that we're feeling like we're doing things for them and they're doing things for us. When you can go to work and you know you're doing a decent job and the boss is acknowledging that you're doing a decent job and your coworkers are thinking you're pretty good and you're pretty happy with them. And maybe I'm discussing pure fantasy land right now. And if I am to you, then maybe this could use some attention in your life. And maybe by putting some attention on it and by working on just this one aspect, however is best for you to do it, you could improve your own safety, security, sense of safety, sense of security, sense of self-worth. I think these are important things. In fact, I think these are very important things. Mm-hmm. Um, and this speaks to all of us that if we were all doing this, if we were all trying to be a little bit more mindful, a little bit more aware, then, of course, the thing we're going to notice right away, and we're going to either, you know, and we, and this could even be make break for people. I mean, this could be a really important thing, is you're going to see right away, well, who's, who's friendly, who's compassionate, who actually understands me, who mm-hmm. takes care to listen to what I have to say. And conversely, do I take care to listen mm-hmm. to what they have mm-hmm. to say? You know, the thing about America specifically, or maybe Western nations, I guess I could say more broadly, is, you know, we are such egotists. Yes. (laughs) We're so hepped up on ourselves. And we tend to think of our relationships in terms of what they give us. Mm -hmm. We really need to turn that lens also the other way and see what we do for other people. Are we useful to them? in the same way they're useful to us? Are we friendly to them in the same way they're friendly to us? Or could we be better at that? Could we be more compassionate? Could they be more compassionate with us? You know, you can examine things just at this level. You don't have to get all complicated and, and, you know, crazy about it. Just do I have good relationships? And if not, what can I do about that? Well, I'm going to tell you that communication, compassion, and empathy are going to get you farther faster than you could possibly imagine. You know, I, I, I think I tweeted out today something that came up in one of our lectures that is, that is a, a very important piece of information um, and consideration, which is that, you know, one reason a lot of people join cults 
or get involved with a narcissist is because the cult or the narcissist are the first people in their lives in quite some time who have dared to sit down and listen mm-hmm. to the person. And with it, with it, with it, at least a caring look on their face, <laughs> at least they pretended quite well to care about this person and want to help them. And that will get you so far with somebody yes. so fast. You know, mm-hmm. um, I, I mean, it, it's it, it's mind boggling the power of this. Because it's how people get into these destructive cult and destructive relationship situations. And then you come out of it and you go, well, I guess I can't trust anybody, right? Which is, of course, the exact wrong lesson to learn from that. But it's, of course, the most organic and, you know, in terms of simple threat assessment from here on out, good, I'm never going to trust anybody. That's a real simple way to get through life, except, unfortunately, it's not. Because it sounds simple in the moment, and then you start trying to have relationships with people, mm-hmm. you know. And and by relationships, I literally just mean connections. I just mean you are connected with people in ways, you know, whether they're friends, family, acquaintances, whatever. Whatever the relationship is, you know, where does it stand? And how are you doing with it, you know, both in contributing and being contributed to? Um, I just can't stress enough that this simple, seemingly simple thing could have very, very powerful effects for you and for the people in your life. Um, And it might uh, surprise and amaze you how little attention you need to put on it in order to have truly amazing effects with people uh, in your life, right? A smile, a touch uh, can sometimes do wonders, a real honest conversation can change somebody's reality for, and mood. And mm. I guess we could say mental health, you know, for a very long time. You can be, you know, you can make a huge difference in other people's lives with the simplest of things. So in other words, you know, chaos, you know? <laughs> be kind, right? Um, these lessons keep coming back to us and it keeps hitting me upside the head in my, in my studies how we have really big words, we have really complicated therapeutic models and mind models and ideas of thinking, and there are incredibly complicated philosophies and epistemologies. You know, where, how do we know what we know? How do we, you know, relate to the world? How do we relate to each other? All this really deep, deep thinking by people way smarter than me. And then there's just the simplicity of at the end of the day, you can kind of take all those $20 words and big pollutin concepts and reduce it down to, hey, you know, let's just be kind to one another. And you'd be amazed at the power of that. You know, and I just want to keep stressing that because I I, I know that to be true. That's not a, a supposition on my part. So, um, so if you want to have a direct effect, a positive effect on the people around you and on yourself, you know, then put that out there. And if other people in your life, if the problem is that other people aren't listening to you, aren't there for you, don't care about you, it's okay for you in your relationships with others to bring that up, you know, to kind of call a spade a spade, you know, kind of say, hey, what's up? How are we doing? You know, it doesn't seem like I, you know, I, I listen to you. It doesn't feel like you listen to me. 
maybe, you know, maybe we could sort this out. Maybe we can have a conversation about it, whatever, you know, however you want to do it. I'm just throwing out silly examples, but however is best for you. But, you know, confronting and dealing with those kind of problems and issues is itself a kind of difficult hurdle to cross. I know it's difficult. I know it's not easy to, to have those conversations, but boy, when you, if you can get to the other side, if you can navigate it, get to the other side of that, you've restored, you brought a relationship up to a whole nother level where it's more meaningful for you. It's more, and it's going to be more meaningful for the other person too. So, so that's something that trained or not, you don't, and you don't have to know a damn thing about mental health or mental illness or treatment modalities or therapies or anything to understand what I just talked about. You know? And if we could do those things better then, um, and be more mindful of the relationship aspect of our lives, I think, then we're starting to see the world in a different way. And um, I think we could have a better world as a result. And that's my big change the world statement <laughs> for the week. You know, but uh, I like, I, I want to always, I, I really try to find the positives to accentuate those um, sometimes irritatingly so, <laughs> but, you know, but I, but I think we've acknowledged some real problems in this podcast. You know, I, this isn't all just airy fairy, you know, nonsense. It's just, we have these problems. These are big problems. Mm -hmm. We're not all able to get the help that we think we could use or could, or could, or that could help us. But can we do anything? Yes, we can. We can always do something. And uh, I don't care if Scientology says that, too. I do believe it's true <laughs> that you can always do something about it. You know, um, I will I will certainly distance myself from the Church of Scientology in saying that. But uh, but that is a thing. So, OK, guys, that's what I wanted to sort of say this week. I don't know. What do you think, babe? Anything else to add? No, really. I just think, yeah, be kind to each other. Let's let's try to get better health care in this country so we can all get mental health care. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Because that's not, you know, I I think that you can have some really big effects with what with some of the stuff I was talking about. But let's be clear. I don't expect that to be curing ADHD or depression or anxiety. This is all about coping and learning and and improving. This isn't about, you know, curing. We're, we, unfortunately, we don't have that for these things quite yet. And um, yet we have them and we have to deal with it. So what are we going to do? Well, we're going to do the best we can. So uh, here's to you doing the best you can. And we will continue to try to do the best we can. Thanks for coming around and listening to us this week, guys. We really appreciate it. And we hope that this podcast was helpful, useful, and and, and hopefully possibly entertaining in some yeah, way yeah. as well. <laughs> All right, guys. See you next week. Bye-bye. Goodbye.